0: You've okay, got a Bible this morning. Please open it to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And thus far, we are looking at a man called Cornelius, a Roman centurion, a very powerful man with at least a hundred men under his authority, and he is a Gentile. But he's converted to Judaism, and it's my belief that he probably converted to Judaism whilst he was stationed in Israel. The Jews were told back in the Old Testament to witness to Gentiles, to bring them to the truth for the one true God, but for the most part, they failed. So it's very rare to read about this centurion and I believe he would have paid a huge price to forsake polytheism, to become a monotheist. And on top of that, that is a picture here of New Testament's discipleship. It's very simple to be saved. If you're not saved, you simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You trust in his death, burial and resurrection and then by the help of the Holy Spirit, you start to turn from your sins. Also from Acts chapter 6, just as a quick side note, there's no mention of Stephen or Philip after having the apostles' hands laid on them, ever speaking in tongues. And I'm going to speak about the subject of tongues this morning. And Most people that I come into contact with have some Pentecostal or charismatic background, and they're very interested in tongues. In fact, the last two Saturdays, I've had this woman come up to me in the street. She's new to the area, and uh, she was asking me about tongues, and if I could recommend a church to her, which of course I can't. I never do, never have done. And she was saying to me about speaking in tongues, how people prayed over her to speak in tongues. And I gave her a very sort of coil look. And I said, listen, women never spoke in tongues in the New Testament. I'm sorry to say that to you. And I could see she wasn't particularly happy with that response from me. And I said, too, that women are told to be quiet in the assembly, First Corinthians chapter 14. And again, she didn't seem particularly happy with that. And I spoken to her twice now over the last two Saturdays. And yesterday she just walked away from me, which is what... Seems to be a regular occurrence when I speak to people on the streets. They don't seem to want to hear what I have to say to them. But from that, also keep in mind that when Paul got saved and was baptized in Acts chapter 9, he too didn't speak in tongues. Also, so far, as we go through Acts chapter 10, we haven't found a clear picture of a blood atonement plan of salvation. Now, these Jews are being saved by believing on their Messiah, but it won't be clearly articulated to us until Saul of Tarsus becomes known as Paul the Apostle. But don't allow the hyper-dispensationalists to come along and suggest that these people are not saved. They are saved. They're saved in a very similar way as to how the Old Testament saints were saved. Also, from verse 17, we get a clear picture of progressive revelation in reference to Simon Peter doubting himself what this vision would mean. So, so far, the context is very simply in reference to Cornelius, a good man, thought of very highly amongst his peers, but he's not yet saved. And this goes really to the heart of the matter, that Jew or Gentile, you need to be born again. The Lord told us in John chapter 8 that unless you believe I am, in reference to his day, you will die in your sins. In John chapter 8, the context is the Lord speaking to the Jews. So I don't, I don't believe in this dual covenant teaching that a Jew will be saved one way and a Gentile will be saved another way. I don't believe that. So that's heresy. Jew or Gentile both need to be saved by coming to the Lord Jesus Christ and being washed in his precious blood. So Cornelius, as I say, he's a good man, he's got good works, good testimony, but he's not yet saved. And he sees an angel, and this angel says to him, find Simon Peter. He's currently associating, he's currently hanging out, as they say, he's currently aboding with Simon the Tanner. And Cornelius sends three men to find this Simon Peter, the oldest of the apostles. And Simon Peter is praying, he's on the rooftop of a property. You might think to yourself, what are you doing on, on the rooftop of a property? Well, maybe... He wants some privacy. You'll see in chapter 11 that six brethren accompany Peter to witness uh, Cornelius and Coe's interest in the gospel. So I think that's why he was on the rooftop wanting some privacy, praying. He gets very hungry, falls into a trance. And again, this is the era for signs and wonders. And the Lord speaks to Peter, tells him to kill and eat in reference to what was back in the Old Testament considered to be unclean animals. And he starts to argue with the Lord. But while he's arguing with the Lord, the Lord says, listen, what is now clean is clean. I want you to deal with this man, this centurion, this once dubious character, this polytheist, this worshipper of many gods, who's now turned to the one true God. He's not yet saved, and he's going to make his way up to your house to hear the true gospel. So keep all that in mind as we start today's broadcast in verse 30 from Acts chapter 10. And I pray the Lord God will bless today's broadcast. I pray he will bless the shortwave wave signal i pray he will bless the live stream and i pray he will bless this as it goes onto the internet acts 10 verse 30 please and cornelius said four days ago i was fasting until this hour and at the ninth hour i prayed in my house and behold a man stood before me in bright clothing and said cornelius thy prayer is heard and thine arms are had in remembrance in the sight of god an angel in reference to being a male there are no female angels in scripture And he was fasting, he's praying, which suggests to me that this should be a normal occurrence in our lives. And I know sometimes we are good at praying, and we should be good at studying our Bibles, but are we any good at fasting? It's not easy to fast. I've done it a few times myself over the years, and the truth of the matter is it starts off very difficult. You get the old stomach grumbling, and you start to feel tired, you start to miss some of your usual dishes, but after a few hours you get used to it. And after 24 hours it becomes comes, no big deal. I knew a man who got saved later in life, much later in life, in his 70s, I think it was, and he started to fast regularly. And he told me that the longer he would fast, the closer he would feel to the Lord. And I can believe that. But here Cornelius is fasting, and he's praying, and this angel appears to him and says, Thy prayer is heard, and thine arms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. This man had good works, left, right and centre. And because this is the generation, this is the era of signs and wonders, Cornelius is going to be allowed to witness an angelic vision. That's quite rare. I've been saved 13 years, Patrick, over 15 years. And I can tell you that, to the best of my knowledge, I've never seen an angel. I've never seen the Lord. I've never heard his voice. But what did Paul tell us in Romans chapter 1? How the just shall live by faith. But Cornelius is a slightly different exception. He's exception to the rule. And he goes on saying in verse 32. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon. Whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon at tanna by the seaside. Who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. Simon Peter the oldest of the apostles. And we've seen so far Dr. Luke focus on Simon Peter. The oldest. John the son of Zebedee the youngest. With the exception of. Philip and Stephen. Now, I'm sure the other apostles are just as busy preaching and working around the Jerusalem area. I put the case to you all so far that I think around 20,000 people are saved up until this point in the early church's history, a remarkable number. 10 BC, there were no Christians anywhere in the world. And around 40 AD, you've got around 20,000. That's profound. People have been saved left, right, and centre. So we shouldn't be surprised that the angel of the Lord, or an angel of the Lord, we can't be dogmatic, has told Cornelius that all of your good works have now come up in remembrance in the sight of God. What goes on in heaven is pictured here, and what happens on the earth is pictured as being relevant in heaven. That's pictured back in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, where the word of God told us that whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. That's a very deep subject, and when I get to my study throughout the book of Revelation, I'm going to try and expound that. Because I think, yes, we have guardian angels, but not necessarily physically here on the earth with us. My understanding, very quickly as a footnote, is that when we get saved, we have an angel which is in heaven. And that's pictured also from, I think it's Luke 15. And our angels always behold our Father's face, which is in heaven. Also on top of that, you were told from Revelation chapter 12, that the devil is battling Michael the archangel. It starts in heaven, but it also is played out on the earth. But I haven't got time to really expound that this morning. But either way, this man, Cornelius, has been praying, fasting, and all of his good works have now come up as a memorial or a commemoration in the sight of God. 33. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore we are all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Simon Peter I've been told to send for you. And to avoid any contamination. The Lord wants Simon Peter to go down and preach to Cornelius. First of all via his three man strong team. And we get the expression. They want to get it directly from the horse's mouth. 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said. Of a truth I perceive that God is no specter of persons. But in every nation. He that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Be very careful with this piece of scripture because a typical apologist will suggest that what Peter is now speaking about is the brotherhood of man and the fatherhood of God. But I showed you last week in 22, and i read it again. And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and a good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house, and to hear words of thee. So take verse 22 and try and harmonise it with 34 and 35. Let's break it down one more time from verse 34. Peter speaking. Then Peter opened his mouth and said. This is inspiration by the Holy Ghost. Of a truth I perceive. That God is no a specter of persons. In the context of. If you humble yourself and come to him. Okay. But in every nation. He that feareth him. In reference to Cornelius being a Gentile. Probably from Rome. I would imagine. And worketh righteousness is accepted with him. So Cornelius. Somebody from another nation. Fear the Lord. Worked righteousness. His good works. Is accepted with him. But on top of that. This is pre Paul's arrival on the scene. But what did I show you from Acts chapter 4. Some weeks ago. Also from the mouth of the apostle Peter. Verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven. Given among men. Whereby we must be saved. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved so Peter is not going to contradict himself so when we look at Acts 10:22, cross-reference it to verses 34, 35 we understand very clearly that Paul who's going to come after Peter is also going to be in harmony with Peter but Peter in the context here simply speaking about the fact that those that fear the Lord in every nation and do righteousness which will lead up to the new birth is accepted with him But again, keep in mind what is said to you that the context here is specifically in reference to Cornelius. A Gentile from Rome, he's turned to Judaism, he's forsaken polytheism, the worship of many gods, hence why he fell down at the feet of Peter and started to worship him, because he probably thought that Peter was in a way that we don't quite understand in the 21st century, a type of deity. And Peter says, get up, I'm just a man as you are, so on and so forth. But when Paul comes along, He really is the master when it comes to articulating the blood atonement and the exclusivity of the Lord Jesus Christ. I might come back to these verses if we get a little more time, but let's move on, please. Verse 36, the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, for he is Lord of all. The word I say, ye know, which was published throughout all Judea, and began from Galilee, after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Emmanuel. God with us. Also it says in 36. Jesus Christ he is Lord of all. John chapter 3 is reading it last night. And also this morning. In verse 31. John the Baptist speaking. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly. And speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And also from First Corinthians chapter 15. Paul told you that. He is the Lord from heaven in reference to Jesus Christ. So what are you getting here is a clear affirmation of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. But thirty-six, God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. You can't miss it, we're still very much looking at this through the eyes of a Jew to the Jews. And Cornelius is a very interesting character because he's a Gentile, he's a proselyte to Judaism, he's probably become circumcised, he's probably eating. The sort of, sort of foods that the Jews would be eating. And he's probably abstaining from the foods that the Jews would be abstaining from. He's a regular attendee at the local synagogue. So technically speaking, he is a Jew. And that's why I think Peter is approaching him as a fellow Jew. But later on, he's going to be referred to as a Gentile. And this is the problem when you go through Acts of the Apostles. It's very difficult to harmonize these passages. One of the first laws you'll learn if you study hermeneutics is that to build a doctrine, every verse has to line up. So if you've got ten verses on a particular subject, they all have to line up in order for you to be able to teach a doctrine. You can lose one verse and have nine clear verses. You can lose two verses and have eight clear verses. You might be able to lose three verses and have seven clear verses. But if you lose four verses or five verses, in other words, if you have 50-50, if half suggests a particular doctrine and half doesn't suggest a particular doctrine, you have to forsake it. That's the basic principle of hermeneutics. And here, it's very difficult to harmonise Acts of the Apostles. That's why I've been saying for weeks now, almost six months now, that this book is historical. If you read this book, and if you try to expound or exegete, or if you take this book and read it, and try and apply it to yourself or someone else, in other words, if you think to yourself, this is what happens, or this is what should happen when I get saved, you're fooling yourself. That's what the Pauline epistles are written for. Paul is writing to the church under the church age. But Acts of Apostles in many ways sounds like Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel was written to the Jews under the law. And Luke 1 of the 70, in many ways is, at least for the first 16 chapters, is speaking about how the Jews understood what they were experiencing. So it's a very tricky thing to exegete, to somehow harmonize these passages. And as I go through this message, and maybe we'll have to finish next week's Lord's Day service, there's many more verses to read through, you'll see the problem that occurs, and that's why Matthew, Acts, and Hebrews are probably the hardest books to exegete. But my uh, concept is very simply to read it and to preach it as best as I can. I don't read people's commentaries either. Most Bible teachers that you may know will spend weeks preparing for a particular subject, and they will read all of the reference Bibles in their libraries. I remember one Bible teacher. He said that he had eight thousand books. Eight thousand books in his bookshelf. I haven't even got eighty books on my bookshelf. And don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not uh, blowing my own trumpet here. I'm just being honest with anybody that's listening to this message on the radio or through the live stream this morning or through the internet down the line. That I'm simply harmonising these passages as best as I can. And I'm being as honest as I can. But 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Healing all that were oppressed, not just possessed, but oppressed of the devil, and I put it to you in the past that Christians save sinners can be oppressed, but we can't be possessed. For God was with him, Emmanuel. But let's move on, please. Verse 39. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. This term slew and hanged on a tree would be in reference to him dying a cursed death now the Jehovah's Witnesses will spend a lot of time here trying to change us to a stake, and in some ways that is semantics, because a stake or a tree, or a cross is somehow irrelevant, he died for your sins and my sins, and if you put your faith in that, you're saved, but the Holy Spirit has made it very clear that he was hanged on a tree, and that picture is a cursed death, now Absalom died a cursed death Judas Iscariot died a cursed death. Even Saul, the king of Israel, the first king back in the Old Testament, died a cursed death. But Christ died a cursed death for us. Why? Because he who knew no sin was made sin for us. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. And the Lord hung on the cross for six hours. He says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That pictures not only our Savior replacing sinners in hell, but it also pictures the Savior becoming sin for us. That's why the Lord couldn't look upon his own son. Because he became a sin bearer. But I will say this as a quick footnote. I do not believe for one moment. That Christ went to hell to be tortured. I do not believe for one moment. That Christ became the first born again man. I know some people teach that as doctrine. That's heresy. The nearest you'll get to the word of God's teaching. On Christ going to hell. Is to scoop up the righteous. Those in Abraham's bosom. And then preaching victory to those that rejected him. Declaring his triumph. Over them. And the best way to understand. The term Abraham's bosom. Is to understand that. When the Lord put Adam to sleep. He took Eve from his rib. It's a picture of intimacy. Eve is a picture of the church. Adam is a picture of our saviour. But I haven't got time to speak about. Types and shadows this morning. 39 and we are witnesses of all these things. He has to be a witness. I wouldn't give you five minutes. I wouldn't give you tuppence. you became up to me in the streets. And didn't have the experience or the credentials to be an apostle. There are many false prophets in the first century. Matthew 24 says, Many will come in my name and deceive many. That started around the death of the Lord. That also built up towards 70 AD. Many messiahs were coming around or going around in Jerusalem saying, I am the Messiah. And many fell for them. And that will happen again between, I would say, the uh, day of Pentecost to the rapture of the church. There are many false prophets today that are going around to, uh, claiming to be the Messiah. Or claiming to speak for the Lord. They're false prophets. But here he has to make it very clear. Saint Peter, How he was a witness of all things. Which he Jesus both did in the land of the Jews. And in Jerusalem. The context is still Israel. They haven't yet officially gone outside of Jewry. Now it's true that Philip spoke to the Ethiopian eunuch. And I'm slightly puzzled. As to the status. Of the Ethiopian eunuch. I was thinking about him last night. And also this morning that it's quite possible I don't quote me now, but it's quite possible that he wasn't necessarily a proselyte to Judaism. It's just possible, with a lowercase p, that he was a Gentile. And he went up to Jerusalem to worship Jehovah. Maybe like Jethro did back in the Old Testament. But he wasn't technically a proselyte. Hence why Philip puts him into water. And you weren't told, were you, in Acts chapter 8 what type of baptism he experienced it simply says he believed that Christ was the Son of God and then he was baptised and I take that to be in reference to Matthew 28 in reference to baptising the nations, the Gentiles in the name of the Father, the Son and and of the Holy Ghost but here I don't think we have time today to look at the mode of baptism that will await Cornelius is slightly different in fact the mode that will await Cornelius and Co is very similar to Matthew chapter 3 in reference to John the Baptist's baptism and also found in Acts chapter 2. But what you did get in verse 40. How God raised him up the third day. And showed him openly. So that's a veiled reference to the blood atonement of the Lord. But not quite there. Paul the Apostle will articulate this to perfection. Especially in the epistle to the Colossians. 41 finally. Not to all the people. He won't cast his pearls before swine. But unto witnesses. Chosen before of God. Over 500 at once, according to First Corinthians 15. Even to us, the apostles, disciples, those that believed on him, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. So you're getting this right from the horse's mouth. This is a great picture of witnessing one-on-one. And I believe very clearly that those of us which are born again should continue to be witnessing to unsaved people. The Great Commission didn't end with the apostles. As I've heard some people put, it continues. Someone told me about the Lord. Someone told him ...about the Lord, and someone told that person about the Lord... ...and I put it to you that somebody told you about the Lord... ...and that person who told you about the Lord told that person about the Lord. It's common sense, isn't it? Look at verse 42, please. And he commanded us to preach unto the people... ...and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God... ...to be the judge of quick and dead. He commanded us to speak or preach unto the people in reference to the Jews... ...and to testify that it is he which was ordained, chosen... Messiah. the term Messiah means the anointed one the chosen one of God to be the judge of quick and dead John chapter 5 we are told that in the last day Christ is going to judge everyone so that really needs to be underscored if you don't quite get that that when you die God the son is going to judge you the quick and the dead those that are dead we resurrected and those that are alive John chapter 11 and never die will still be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. And I'll close today's broadcast in verse 43, please. To him, give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. To him, Christ, give all the prophets witness. Old Testament, 65 prophecies, I believe, off the top of my head, that through his name, Jesus in English, Yeshua in Hebrew, whosoever believeth in him, the just shall live by faith, shall receive, present tense, remission of sins. Now you can get saved by believing on that. The eunuch got saved by believing that Christ is the Son of God. And yet technically speaking 1 Corinthians 15. For the Gentile under the church age. Would be the correct mode to use. To articulate how a sinner gets saved. All the prophets wrote about the Lord Jesus Christ. The kings are types of the Lord during the second advent. Whereas the prophets are types of the of the Messiah during the first advent. So the kings picture his Reign on the earth for a thousand years. David's kingdom was pretty broad, but Solomon's was even more broader. Whereas the prophets picture his first advent, the suffering saviour, the son of Joseph. But the kings picture Christ at the second advent as a son of David. Who is going to come and rule and reign for a thousand years and put all of his enemies down. But you're saved through faith in his name and you get your sins remitted. You can't miss it, it's substitutionary atonement. This is pretty clear, and I'll be fair to Peter that he's still transitioning. He he also is experiencing progressive revelation. He doesn't quite understand the gospel of the grace of God just yet. But I'm going to close the, today's broadcast with the view that these people are saved the same way that you and I got saved, but that they come a different route. Okay, still the same way. The Old Testament people looked to the coming of the Messiah. The Old Testament greats believed on a promise, whereas we believe on a person. But the Lord is still the Justifier. The just for the unjust. They might bring us to God. So it's all about grace. Don't get the wrong impression from this piece of holy writ That somehow one group come one way. And another group come another way. I don't believe that. And some people do teach that in the tribulation. A sinner is saved by faith and works. That's a dangerous doctrine. If you teach that you're saved by faith and works. In the great tribulation. And yet a sinner gets saved in the church age by grace alone. You are clearly teaching to forms of salvation a two-tier system and you can just imagine can't you people arriving in eternity saying hey look at me everybody i got saved by works i'm a great person i didn't take the mark of the beast i was able to overcome i was able to do this i was able to do that and someone like me arrives in eternity well i just got saved by the blood of the lord i just got saved by trusting in his blood no i don't believe that's going to be the case in eternity to him 43 one last time give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever Jew or gentile it's a free gift Come as you are, believeth in him, substitutionary atonement, shall receive remission of sins. This is great news to share with you all today on this Lord's Day service. So if you're burdened with sin, come to the foot of the cross and be saved. It's a free gift, it's a done deal. When he hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. But as we said, the ball is in your court. You need to come to him, you need to receive him, trust in his death, burial and resurrection and you will be saved. And you will from death unto life. So we'll close there in verse 43 of Acts chapter 10 and next week we'll pick it up in verse 44 and we will conclude, Lord willing, Acts chapter 10.